So Adam, why do you do this? Or why did you do this? Or 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 what's going on? <laughs> I wish I knew. Why did you ever have the desire to to get up on stage or to sit behind the microphone of a podcasting studio in beautiful downtown Hamilton? Why did you ever want to do this? What motivated you? A lot of people have a lot of different motivations, I believe. Mm-hmm. Some people want to make money. Some people... <laughs> I'm told, want to get laid. <laughs> From comedy? Yes. <laughs> wow. This is, this is uh, yeah, I came up on a recent Tea with Alice where they were talking about men who get into the business of comedy specifically to get laid and therefore treat all the women around them as if they're their rightful prizes. Hmm. Um, or was it something else? Was it something noble, like wanting to explore the craft or was it because you wanted to have an audience that uh, you could be a, a, an influencer of? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please wear what I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what do you think brought you into this world? Um, well, I guess like most people, it was a variety of different things. Like, I guess there, there, is, no, uh, there is no good way to say this first part, but uh, it, it just kind of is. Well, without sounding like an egomaniac, but it, it just kind of is. I, I, like, I think if you're funny, you know it. Like, you know it. And, and even if you don't, like, like, because I know there are people who, you know, think they're funny and are terrible, but like, enough people tell you that you're funny and you like making people laugh. Those are the two kind of things that drove me, at least, into being like, oh, I am a funny person. I am the person who maketh the jokes. Uh, and want to get better at it. And when I was first starting to dip my toe into stand-up, because I knew I wanted to do it, and there was no industry in St. John's. There was no presence for stand-up in St. John's when I was growing up. And when I moved to the mainland to study, I wrote some stuff, and I tried it out on my girlfriend, because, man, of all the things you want to try out on your girlfriend, boy, oh, boy, it's it's your first stand up material that the thing is really gonna get her engine going. Um, yeah, no, I find it's much better to start a podcast and then just give it to the world. Well, yes, isn't it great that you're that, that you're not like husbando? I have jokes for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, when when those jokes were disappointing, rather than and this is I think a pattern in my life, rather than. Uh, trying to polish them, I just thought, oh, I'll be no good forever and put that dream aside and did other things. And I had other hobbies and interests anyway, so I, I could pursue them. But eventually I got back to stand-up and found the things that I, I, I wanted out of it. Like, I wanted to be funny on my own terms. I wanted to find the audience that would appreciate that rather. And that's how I always kind of saw it in my own head rather than going, I'm going to convince stadiums of people to love me. It's like, I knew <laughs> uh, at all points in my life. I thought it's like, no, no, no. I, I am an acquired taste, like uh, a pickle wrapped in cheddar. I am, uh, I, I am, I am not for all. I am for some. Um, and that's fine because all my, and I, I kind of knew that because almost all of my comedic tastes were not for all. Right. So it stood to reason that if the things that influence me and the things that I respond to are cultish, then I will be too. So it was a matter of like, I wanted to do it because I, I, I kind of felt like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm funny and I like expressing myself that way. And I like making people laugh. I wanted to find an audience and I wanted to keep getting good at it 
to the point where I could make money at it and it could be a job. And those were my ambitions. I, I don't know if any of them are noble. I don't think they are. <laughs> they, they were just desires. And I'd still probably do it if it weren't for the lifestyle. Like <laughs> if, it, if it weren't for anything that was, well, you know, you are, you are still doing it. I mean, you're just not doing stand up. You're doing, you're doing other things. You're doing podcasting to get it, to have an audience and to entertain that audience. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, I guess that that goes with what you often hear from uh, successful artisans <laughs> um, when they're talking about what they do. A lot of them say it's like, I never planned on this. So, you know, if the megaphonic shows boom to the point where we are, you know, full time podcast folks not doing anything else for cash, uh, I, I will have the same answer because I, I will also have to say it's like, yes, in the 80s growing up, I never saw myself as doing pirate internet radio <laughs> so that was me but what about you for music like what drew you to that uh, was it just you know love of the game the desire to compose was it a social element was it a desire to rake in a ton of cash or was it that 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 sweet sweet offer of man love that you would definitely get as a musician traveling around so i was recording songs in my bedroom for no particular audience for you know years and years and years before I started playing shows out and putting and and putting up music that could be more widely purchased or listened to and I really do kind of do it for the interest in the craft more than anything else like mm -hmm. the idea of what is music for me and what can I do with it? And what happens if you do this? And what happens if you do that? It really always was motivated by those kinds of formal questions. There obviously there was still part of me which thought, oh, you know, especially when I was younger, oh, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be great to be a musician who was listened to and and was therefore famous? But as I got older and found out more about what people who are famous, like what their lives are like or what mm -hmm. their lives seem to be like from the outside. <laughs> it took a lot of the shine off that, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Fame, fame is something that you only want like immediately after a show for 30 minutes. Like you want to be famous in the room after you've done a thing. At least that's what I found. Like uh, going back to what you were saying earlier about picking up through stand-up that was never a thing i even thought was possible just because you know contrary to what you always hear what what really uh, gets someone's interest in you going isn't it's like so funny therefore so sexy it's like that that's not true no one ever actually thinks that but uh, i i would sometimes find that it's like after shows women would hit on me and i was like oh this is so easy i don't have to do shit I was I was thrilled by that. But um, having people come up to you, whether they're you know trying to hook up with you or not, um, having people just express a like for your work and you get that attention for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. That's great. Like a little isolated pocket of fame that you would get as a stand up, like a, a working Canadian stand up. Like, that's great. I would totally want that. I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want a people to be able to recognize me all the time. And B, I'd hate to have my face in public. Like, I see CBC broadcasters uh, 
their faces are in posters in Toronto. And I'm like, ah, gross. I would hate that. Maybe they like it, but I would hate that. Yeah. Yeah. So I did this experimental theater thing once where I was an audience member. And part of it was that you were given some post-it notes and you were supposed to write on the post-it note a label, let's say. You were supposed to write a label on it, so to speak. And then uh, you were supposed to write down three labels that could be used to describe you, some of which were positive and some of which were negative. And then you were supposed to go into a room and then basically have a chance to remove those labels and reject them. One of the labels that I put on myself as a word that people have used to describe me, which I wanted to reject, was the word memorable. And when I took that label off and said that that was not a word I wanted put on me, mm-hmm. the woman who is, um, you know, taking us through and telling us what the rules were just got shocked <laughs> in a way that like, she'd been very positive about helping me, you know, saying, yeah, that's right. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that. That's great. You're not, you know, that, that fat or whatever, or stupid or clumsy or whatever the label is that you'd put on yourself. It's cool that you can reject that. It's fine. You don't have to be defined by that. You're great. You blah, blah, blah. When I said memorable, it was clear that like I had said something that she could not fathom not wanting that because she, it, it just seemed like it was something that was so much how she, something she aspired to, right? Something that she saw as a universal positive that I was like, no, this is a terrible thing. <laughs> I wish to be unmemorable. <laughs> I wish I, but it's true. Like, there's this really weird motivating factor for me where I, you know, someday, presumably, I will die. And I'm perfectly fine with people who are close to me being sad about that. Or even people who aren't super close to me as friends, but maybe enjoyed my work being sad about that. But that doesn't mean that I want to be remembered terribly long after that. (laughs) Enough for the grieving process to happen. Mm -hmm. But then the world should move on without me. Stuff that I've put out in the world, I don't mind that being out there in case people find it and then can take if they're going to enjoy it, that they can enjoy it. But the idea of there being some me behind it who is memorable just uh, don't like I don't like that thought at all. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I would love to be remembered as some kind of boogeyman figure, <laughs> <laughs> as though uh, my terrifying ghost will visit you if you break one of my sacred rules, or uh, perhaps even better, uh, wander into a particularly cursed ground, which I guess for me would be wherever the video stores were in Newfoundland. <laughs> so 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 this idea that you've just had of of being famous for 30 minutes after a show mm-hmm. short term fame yeah uh is a bit appealing because i guess i guess that does make sense that is sort of what i would hope from all this to to you know for people to enjoy what i've done for if they're gonna and to have a good relationship with it and you know be excited about about the fact that i that i did that and then move on with their lives. But it's hard to it's hard to imagine pairing that with a scenario in which this becomes a sustainable way to make money. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there's definitely comedians who are working and living pretty decently but aren't famous famous. 
like we were we were just mentioning Tea with Alice, which stars Alice Frazier, who I'm sure is much bigger in the UK and in Australia, but she's not a name name the way that, say, everyone recognizes Jerry Seinfeld, everyone recognizes Ellen DeGeneres, everyone recognizes Dave Chappelle. Sure, sure. And that's fu- that's totally fine. And the odd, super intense comedy podcast dork would be like, oh, can I stop you? Are you Alice Frazier? You're great. And that interaction will last 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I mean, she's had stalkers, but... <laughs> that That's true. But... You only kind of want that for a, a little while, so I think it's I think it's very possible for like a lot of working entertainers, especially if like you're if you're an actor or better better yet the best kind of actor a character actor, uh, you're famous only to devotees of movies, right? Not not just not just your average movie going audience, but like people who love movies and specifically watching actors act will go like, oh my god, it's that person, it's that guy, uh, hence. The I believe there's even a book about character actors. It's just called "Hey, It's That Guy," <laughs> and that you know that's a that's a that's a that's I think of a viable thing. Like those people who are character actors, and those people who are working successful comedians, or perhaps even working successful musicians. I'm not quite sure about that, but certainly in the in the other two examples with actors and comedians, it's like yeah, you can have a career and you can you know make it your thing to do this and you can have all the joys and privileges of not being famous which to me sounds like a huge relief because you would be famous you know if you were an actor and you know you're at a premiere for your movie you'd be famous there for like again 30 minutes afterwards where everyone's having cocktail weenies and such and they go Mm -hmm. up to you and go you were great (laughs) and that's that's nice and every now and then someone will be like you were great and you're hot and you're like say um and that's it. And and that's that's nice. Like a little pocket of fame, and which is just coming from appreciation of you and your work and occasionally of your hot bod. That's great. That's what you want. That's what you want. And I think it's I think it's very possible. And it's certainly what I wanted. Because I remember even when I was trying to be an actor, I wanted to be a character actor. I did not want to be famous. I did not want to see my face on posters unless I was the villain in a Star Trek movie. So that makes sense in terms of those that kind of fame. That kind of I recognize you fame, but especially now that we're doing podcasting, that you've got some audience as a writer and a commentator on things. One of the one of the things you're you're trading off with that is that you're hoping that you have an audience of people who want to hear what you have to say, mm-hmm. which is a bit different from people who want to see you acting in a thing like you, you, you know, who want to see how you're going to perform, but they actually want to hear your thoughts about some episode of MST3K or some movie horror movie or some, or about character actors and then what character actors are like, or about comedy for the four people who listen to this podcast. So (laughs) we love you guys. You guys are the best. Kisses. Do you ever think about or get anxious about cultivating that kind of audience, which in some ways, seems even more uh, intense than the people who people who might be interested in an actor just because they are good at acting or they are attractive or they are already famous. I've gotten negative attention because of my beliefs before and my my expression of those beliefs through writing. Um, I don't necessarily mean negative attention too. I, I mean positive attention as well. Sure, 
Uh, well, I'm just thinking specifically. So another one of the many things that I've done in my weird vagabond lifestyle is when I was in Newfoundland for a while, I was the province's only film critic. Right. And there was a fellow there, a screenwriter uh, named Darcy, who would essentially comment on every one of my reviews and occasionally like email me. <laughs> but as time went on, I made a tweet because I'm also doing stand-up during this time. And my Twitter account is essentially posts of the reviews, posts about my dates, jokes, and jokey thoughts about film and serious thoughts about film and all those things. And even though I am neither a regular film critic, like I contribute to a few film magazines, but it's not really something I do all the time. And I'm certainly not the only film critic in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> um, e even though that that hasn't really changed that was a bigger deal in newfoundland where you were the for a while primary voice and so i made a tweety joke about going to see a film called spring breakers which was by a fellow by the name of harmony corinne whose films oh, yes. i have seen and they're all awful they're yes. all bad everyone who says you like them we're recording this on 420 the only people who like Harmony Korine movies are people who are way too into 420. <laughs> and that's the only thing. If you like Harmony Korine movies, you're intellectually dishonest garbage. I'm sorry. But anyway, I had just made some like very jokey remark, far, far more benign than what I just said about Harmony Korine. And in the 90 minutes that I had seen the film, I had been tweeted at numerous times by Darcy. And I had been emailed numerous times and he kept insisting that we needed to have words. This person that I had never met. <laughs> and what's weird is that I thought, okay, this is a silly situation and I didn't feel threatened. So I thought, why not? Cause I'm, I'm a six foot three, you know, almost 300 pound man for God's sakes. So I, I didn't feel terribly threatened. And what this Darcy fella did was sit down, buy me a drink, sit down with a drink of his own, and then berate me for two hours because I had the gall to make a jokey tweet about a movie that I honestly was not looking forward to seeing, but was giving a fair chance to. You can't hide your biases. That's why people read your writings in the first place. They connect with you whether they agree with you or not. Right. And he could not fathom this, so just began insulting not only my writing and, you know, my inability to understand the brilliance of Harmony Corinne, <laughs> but also started, like, talking about how he was a much freer and better person than me. He went on this weird tirade, but he kept buying me drinks. And so it's like, well, I'll stay for drinks, <laughs> but I wonder how much personal abuse I can take, because I just didn't say anything after all. I was just like, I'm a bit thirsty. Do you mind? And he would go like, oh, okay, okay. And he would go and he'd get me another drink. I got eight drinks out of this guy. Wow. Yeah. I counted because I had nothing better to do. <laughs> and I later was talking with my shrink at the time, and I had just casually mentioned, it. I was like, yeah, I feel, I feel super weird because it's like, I have to say, being yelled at for two hours, even in a pub, even when you were essentially being paid to be there, uh, it felt so weird afterwards. I felt so used and chewed up. And she, she said, wait, what happened? And I explained the situation to her. And she was like, Adam, that fellow is a creep. Who has such an obsession with you that they need to talk to you and, and all this? I was like, yeah, you're right, therapist. And I had made a uh, – not only had I had I uh, 
jokingly uh, stated on Twitter that I'd had a change of heart about Spring Breakers and would be rewriting my then negative review. Uh, I tweeted at Darcy the review, and it was just – I hid the link in a bitly, but it was the exact same review. <laughs> I had merely added a comment saying that anyone who likes this movie is a dumbo <laughs> in the comment section, and he sent me an email. Sure. Uh, of course, that was, again, a long tirade. But the best part was that at the very, very end, he said, oh, and of all the things, you didn't even once offer to buy me a drink. <laughs> I later forwarded this to a few friends, kind of explaining the situation to them. They all had a good laugh at the email. And they're like, they, and they each told me their terrible Darcy stories. And so I just heard more and more laughable things about the guy. And I was like, you know what? I, I think I was a little bit hurt being chewed out for two and a half hours. Drinks be damned. Uh, I sold my soul for eight drinks. But uh, at least <laughs> at least hearing him get roasted after the fact made that a lot better for me. <laughs> but have you ever had that? Like, have you, have you had people who obsessively had to tell you what they did and did not like about your work? Oh, um, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Broad, broadly speaking, no. Definitely people who have reacted poorly to things and told me about it. But nobody who did it repeatedly. Nobody who made a made a lifestyle choice out of it. Mm -hmm. I'm just not that popular. <laughs> but, um... I don't know that I've ever had something that would have made me be would that would have made my opinions be as widely heard as I assume your movie reviews were heard or read. <laughs> I'm not saying that they were read by millions, obviously. No. But they were in the they were in the free paper in a city of a significant you know, enough number of people that I imagine they were read in the thousands at least, if not tens of thousands. Well, I mean, I certainly, I certainly got some attention for what was at the time. Uh, it felt like a novel approach was to, you know, approach the movie reviews not from the kind of beat by beat journalistic standpoint that uh, Siskel and Ebert praised and suggested should be the template for all critics. And I was like, I should approach this as a. And I wasn't yet a stand-up when I started writing film reviews professionally, but I I approached it, and, and again, this has now been done to death. I was like, "Oh, I should like I'm I'm a comedy person who's really interested in movies, and that's my qualifications. My qualifications are that you know I write funny, and that I love movies, and that's it. And so my reviews always had a sense of humor about them, which at least my memory of the mid 2000s and before was that a lot of people were striving to be drier and drier and drier. And, and now right now in, in film criticism, I'd say uh, my approach has been done to death. I would give anything for people to take their reviews more seriously and stop dropping in jokes. Mm. But that's a whole other story. But yeah, it, it, it would sometimes get attention. I would every now and then get uh, asked by a larger newspaper to comment on a situation or uh, show up on the CBC a couple of times. I once got a death threat um, based on one of the reviews that I wrote, uh, which was lovely. Yes. Um, I, I nearly got sued by Harlan Ellison's people. That was fun. Oh, well, that's, that's a rite of passage. Exactly. If you write it all and Harlan Ellison uh, hasn't threatened you... <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not writing. I guess it's one of those things where I I think about how it's fun to talk with people about things. It's 
one of the reasons that I'm interested in podcasting and 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 making more podcasts and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I like people. It's not really much of a point to them otherwise. So I'd like to be the sort of person that people ask, hey, I'm thinking of getting people together, perhaps on a podcast, to talk about this thing that I know you have an interest in. Wouldn't it be fun if you joined us? And I would say, yes, yes, that would be fun. And the sense of what does it what does that mean in terms of engaging with the public? What does that mean in terms of being the sort of person who people want to bring on to their podcast, not just because I'm interested, but because I will bring an audience with me to, you know, to help this podcast out of the million podcasts out in the world to, to grow. And like, that all seems like a useful thing. It seems useful to have a kind of audience, but a little bit unpleasant. It's, it's great to meet people who like, who are interested in your work and maybe want to talk about it or want to talk with you about something else because that's cool. But there is something that I find very anxiety-inducing, I guess. I guess that's one way of putting it. Maybe I'm using that wrong. But there's something there's something kind of upsetting about building an audience. <laughs> well, I I love the idea of, you know, if I were if I were a, c- a comedian and someone saw my name on a show and they'd go like, oh, I like Adam Clark. Also, I'll see him. Um, I I once had. <laughs> I once had uh, – I'll never forget this. There was uh, emails that would be sent out um, by Yuck Yucks that were promoting current shows with reviews of past shows. And so oftentimes there would be quotes. And one of the quotes was uh, – and this is a very Newfoundland term. uh, The phrase was, I died at Adam Clark, which was great. But that that glowing review from – whomever it was, Janice K or, or whatever, um, whoever last name withheld, that was sandwiched between two glowing reviews for like ravioli and chicken wings. <laughs> 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 so there's something kind of great, at least when it's comedy is so low rent, like it's not even considered art. I mean, right now comedians are trying to unionize and a lot of people who do comedy uh, and have done comedy feel almost like weird about this is like is this art well it's kind of more of a craft <laughs> um mm. you know and 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 not not they're not really sure how to define it and and some folks have even suggested that you know it 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 can't be art if it's so dependent on the call and response of an audience and and i don't know i don't really know we'll, how we'll, i feel we'll about get, that we'll get to that in another episode yes but i i, I love the idea that you know someone would be attracted to a podcast or be attracted to any kind of show because I would be appearing on it. And thus they, they like my brand, so to speak. I I like that. And I like that those people would be tuning in regularly to, to wonder more of the shows that I do. Uh, And I know that I have been so engaged by people's work uh, from you know podcasters and writers and comedians and actors and directors that I like that I know that I I you know bring a certain amount of fandom to things and get excited about other people's work and people's other works but I I don't 
I don't become full-blown obsessed with those people. Like, it doesn't become – since it's never been dangerous for me as a fan of things, then I always assume that it's like, this person's a fan of my work. They're friendly. And also, they might be hitting on me. <laughs> Wriggles eyebrows. Well, happily, it's still fun to make this podcast and the other podcasts. And even if we never get more than our current four listeners to this podcast, I would not planning on stopping doing it because it's not financially sustainable anytime soon. You know, it nevertheless, in the meantime, it would be, it's always nice to, it is always nice when we, we hear nice things about this podcast or more commonly because it has more than four listeners, our MSG3K podcast, mm-hmm. uh, or we hear people really interacting with what we're talking about and, 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 and being very thoughtful and, and sort of responding in the way that we would want them to. I don't know. It's a, it, it, that's really great where it feels like people are, are hearing what we're doing and saying, yes, you're being thoughtful and, and considerate and complex and friendly enough about it that I want to write you a very nice and sort of detailed email about my thoughts about the topic you were talking about and offer another perspective in a, you know, in a very additive and respectful way. And it's, that's, those moments are really fantastic. And I always feel like I don't do enough of sending a note out to the people, to the creators that whose work I like. I, I still haven't sent that tweet to Alice Frazier explaining how when people nowadays ask me what I, what podcasts I'm listening to, I tell them all about Tea with Alice, <laughs> even though that podcast, although it's completely awesome, it's kind of overwhelming and terrifying to listen to. So I have to really get myself into a mood where I can I can do it because it's, it's really good, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in a really often very, you know, they're, they're talking about real stuff there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so I really have to be in the mood for that. But I think it's some of the most interesting stuff going on right now. Most interesting conversations. Anyway, my point is, I, I feel like I don't. I feel like I should tell people that more. Well, I, I can. I can certainly understand that. However, I also understand uh, not wanting to send out an email or a tweet or anything like that to a creator whose work you enjoy, just in case the response is cold or non-existent. Or non-existent. Like that one time I emailed Kate Beaton to tell her that I thought her comic books were great, and she said nothing. <laughs> it made me feel really bad. Oh, man. I did that once to an internet comics artist who I'm not going to bother naming. Uh, <laughs> posted something, but it mentioned that they'd been having a bit of difficulty with depression lately. Hmm. And it was it was why they hadn't been posting much in the last year. And I sent them a note, and I very and I very specifically said, "You don't have to write back to this. You have other things you need to do. I just wanted to let you know that I've been reading you for a long time, and you're awesome, and depression sucks, and I hope, I hope you, you know, I hope you find a, a way out of it." <laughs> Yeah, I I had written because I had I had sort of opened up. I was kind of hoping for a response because I myself was quite depressed when I wrote that email. Mm. And I was like, wow, you know, I've been feeling so down, but your work really inspires me. It makes me, I mean, I don't do cartoons. I doodle a bit, but that's not a thing I do. But you make me want to be better at everything and, and all this sort of stuff. It's like, you're great. So keep making stuff because I am so impressed by you and I can't be the only one. No response. And I was like, well, even Kate Beaton doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> made me feel so bad. Oh, well. I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> but that's the whole thing, right? Like that that kind of conversation, you have to, that kind of fan letter, you have to think of that as a gift rather than a request. Yeah. I mean, I know that may not have been the headspace you were in at the moment, but mm. fundamentally, you can't expect. I always, I always feel really, it's one of those things about Twitter where you chat with a famous person 
person or a famous to you person on Twitter. And you have to catch yourself. Am I just doing this so that the person knows I exist? Am I doing this for very selfish reasons? Yeah. That seems like a terrible reason to try to get in touch with somebody to, to let them know you exist, unless there's perhaps more to it than that, unless you're really doing something that could be mutually beneficial. But you, you, know, you know, you don't really want to, you got to catch yourself from being terrible. Yeah, this is why I don't include celebrities in my tweets. And, and to be fair, I, I don't think that what Kate Beaton did was a bad thing. It was just, I wrote to her when I was vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> And then yeah. I felt bad when there was no response. <laughs> That's all. It's not. It's nothing personal. It was just like, oh, that hurt at the time for reasons that are nobody's fault. Right. <sighs> well, anyway. To be continued. To be endlessly continued. You're Not Funny is brought to you by Megaphonic FM. Go to megaphonic.fm and check out all our fancy little podcasts. Okay, this time around, the jokey, jokey, jokey jokes are going to be on the topic of why do you do this? So yeah, take it away, Adam. Hello, thank you, thank you again for everybody coming out for this show. I just wanted to say a few things, you know, to keep this show rolling, because we've already seen the opening act, and they were great. Can we have a round of applause for that act? They were so good. They were so good. I just have to read out a couple of announcements here, uh, because again, that's just policy for the club. That's strictly policy. I'm not trying to slow the show down. But hey, can we just have a round of applause for the club and its policies. I think they're great. I think they're absolutely great. Round of applause for those. I mean, that's why that's why we're here. We're here to service the club like slaves, like slaves for money. And anyway, uh, uh, yes. So one, uh, we're actually making a note that uh, there are some personals that we have to read. Uh, I have a personal, a misconnection here. Man with Teardrop face tattoo. Seeking woman with Kleenex face tattoo. Saw you at club last week. Wish you were here. Oh, I also have another note, uh, which is, again, that's why I do emceeing. I love being a courier like this, delivering messages to you, the people. Uh, I understand. Uh, uh, yes, uh, there's a, I, I know which parents who are here uh, that this message is for. We won't identify you. Uh, your babysitter called and your baby just said its first words. They were, why you leave? The child has not spoken since. Round of applause for the child speaking. I think that was great. I think that was great. Round of applause for negligent parents. And lastly, uh, round of applause if you know what the word pandering means. You know that thing you do? You know you know that, that joke where you, where you grab someone's arm? Maybe it's your little brother's arm you grab the you grab his arm and you sort of you sort of hit them with it you sort of use their arm to to hit them <laughs> with their own hand i mean i mean you never manage to hit them really hard because if you wanted to hit them really hard you'd probably just use your own hand easy peasy but uh but no this time it's a joke so you don't you don't want to hit them that hard and and the joke is that it kind of looks like they're hitting themselves even though you're also clearly causing all this to happen it's obviously your fault, but you pretend like it isn't, right? You pretend it's not your fault. And so you ask them, why are you doing this? Why are you hitting yourself? This is not the action of a sensible person. Why are you doing this? Anyway, now that I have, you know, notions, 
now that I'm trying to be a bit more thoughtful, a bit more professional about my approach to telling jokes, I've been practicing them, rehearsing. So I've been practicing this one. I've been grabbing my own arm, using it to slap myself in the face, you know, trying to get the timing just right. Comedy is all about timing. And trying to get the force just right. You know, how hard is too hard, which can be tricky to gauge because, you know, you're struggling. How much struggling should you do? But you can't really control that when you're doing it to somebody. But anyway, you know, how, what's the ideal amount of force to get? And what's the right tone of voice? As I tell myself, why are you doing this? 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 <laughs> but the problem is, I know why I'm doing this. I'm doing this in order to practice a joke. So I have an answer, and it's a sensible answer. It's a good reason to be hitting myself. So I don't know. The whole routine just feels really hollow at that point. And, and you know, I get sad about it, and I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm just never, never going to get this right. Chris, was that also from the wasteland? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I think that's a very interesting metaphor for uh, for stand-up, is making someone hit themselves. <laughs> I think that's very apt. <laughs> Especially for, say, observational humor. <laughs> well, good. I try to be apt. <laughs> There's nothing more important to comedy than its aptness. <laughs> that's, that's your quote that will be sandwiched between two reviews for deep-fried ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be yeah it'll be uh on my standard poster apt adam <laughs> clark <laughs> please put that on the megaphonic business card you have exactly <laughs> i liked i liked the idea that you were applauding this the the policies <laughs> yes that is a bit that i would do when i would MC. <laughs> uh uh was was that protracted thing because you would be asked to do all of these like crazy things so you would be reading out whatever it was that the club wanted you to read out and then i would try my best to have fun with it a lot of comedians would try to just get through it and i came to realize why because the club would get so mad at me (laughs) (laughs) did uh i i I assume you never got to the point although maybe i'm wrong but i assume you never got to the point where you had a contract for your performance <laughs> um it's weird is that yuck yucks being as shady as it was you got a contract at the very end of the night where you had to sign it or you wouldn't get paid oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i i had that at certain at certain more professional venues that were paying me for music more professional <laughs> well because they paid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they paid and not only did they pay but they also kept track of if you have performed there enough times that uh that they needed your your information for taxes. Oh, right. Because right, they would right. have to report that. But yeah, that was always an end of the night kind of thing. Like, make sure you sign this and we'll give you your $20. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but my point was that it, it could be fun to just, for your act, to just be reading the contract aloud in all its legalese. <laughs> oh, that, but, but clearly I'm trying to build a reputation or trying to build an act where I read things that are not funny <laughs> as if they are stand-up routines. That I think is a good act. I think that's a good act. If it works for if it worked for the wasteland. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I uh, if it worked, <laughs> I think it did. 
Um, I know that I eventually abandoned that bit because one of my favorite comedians did something that I felt was similar and better and even used the phrase, you know, round of applause, uh, which was that he opened one of his specials. And this was, I think, four years into me doing stand-up. But he opened one of his specials with um, saying the phrase round of applause. And first it was round of applause for all the comedians you saw tonight. And I heard him do that. And I went, oh, no, this is getting close to this bit. I'm going to have to throw it away because a more famous comedian is doing a, a similar and better version of what I'm doing, which is ultimately what happened. Um, he's like, round of applause for all the comedians you saw tonight. Round of applause if you can't access God. <laughs> round of applause and he kept like listing very specific things about himself and it's like (laughs) oh that's way better than my bit (laughs) there's always going to be someone out there who's better than you i know and that name is always eddie pepitone